Welcome to Curve Beam Connect. Listen in monthly as we talk with doctors and experts in the field discussing innovations and insights into orthopedic imaging. Welcome to the Curve Beam Connect podcast, where we give doctors, patients, and anyone interested in healthcare and technology a look at how our solutions are changing medicine. I'm your host, Vinti Singh, Director of Marketing here at Curvebeam. This episode, we are going to have a chat with Gary Carneal about a new accreditation option for Conebeam CT. Gary is the president and CEO of RadSight, a CMS-designated accrediting body for diagnostic imaging. Gary has brought to market over 20 accreditation programs that have been recognized by three federal agencies. Welcome, Gary, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Minty. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Great. So I did a little bit of research on your background, and it looks like you studied law. How did you get into the healthcare field? Uh, you know, that's a great question. It's funny. Sometimes you wonder whether you pick a career or a career, you know, picks you. Um, <laughs> but when I was in uh, graduate school up in New Haven, I was working um, for a residential treatment facility as a part-time job, uh, working with teenagers with borderline personality disorders. And I was just struck with how the court system was placing the kids not always in the optimal treatment setting. So I said, you know, instead of being a psychologist, maybe I'll go to law school. So I ended up applying to law school and going. And once I went to law school, I realized that psychiatry and law or mental health and law wasn't big back then. So I ended up going to health law and started my career working for um, uh, Capitol Hill and then for a health law firm, and then eventually migrated to in-house for a couple of trade associations, and then ended up running an accreditation organization starting in 1996. So you look at the pathway, it wasn't necessarily direct, but I, I mm -hmm. really enjoyed kind of my educational experience and kind of entering into the health law field and now accreditation. Interesting. Would you say that since you started, the health law field specifically has grown? Yes, I think, you know, it's interesting. I graduated from law school in the late 1980s. I'm showing my age. But um, I was actually one of the inaugural members of the, I uh, went to Virginia, University of Virginia Law School Health Law Forum. So health law in the late, late 1980s, uh, maybe as an adjunct to the rise of managed care, really began to pick up steam. And I think, you know, back then it was a kind of a new field for um, lawyers. And now, of course, it's much more commonplace in terms of health law, health policy, Etc. That's very interesting. Um, what are some of the other specialties that you have developed accreditation standards for? You know, it's so interesting because I've been, um, as you mentioned, have helped bring to market uh, over 20 different accreditation programs for four different organizations. And when I took the jump to the accreditation field in the mid 1990s, you know, I didn't have a full appreciation really of the tradition of accreditation, particularly in healthcare in the United States. And uh, when you look at it from a positive frame of reference, it really, accreditation stands whether you're talking about hospitals or health plans or, um, you know, laboratories uh, really have played an important role in terms of uh, supplementing regulations and quite frankly, being a physician to be more nimble sometimes in regulations. So there really is a rich mm -hmm. tradition in the United States in terms of um, using accreditation standards to promote quality and, and performance and, you know, most importantly, protecting the patient. Uh, during my career, um, I've had some really interesting experiences. For example, my very first accreditation program I helped bring to market was one for PPOs. And back in the mid-1990s, we had been we had gone from indemnity insurance to 
health maintenance organizations to PPOs or what we call back then point of service plans. And there's really no mm -hmm. regulatory uh, system yet for those people are like, well, what are these things? And so was able to develop kind of the first national standards for PPOs and some related functions in terms of credentialing. And then, you know, so I've focused a little bit on networks and health plans in my career, which includes most recently developing a accreditation program for mental health parity for health plans uh, that kind of uh, helps implement the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act that was passed in 2008 to promote kind of a level playing field between how insurers offer medical surgical insurance with mental health and addiction services. Mm -hmm. And then, I, for example, I've been able to work a little bit on the medical management system, mostly on the payer side, not only for utilization management, but was able to bring to market stands for case management, which kind of follows the patient through the continuum of care. And that was very rewarding. And then late 1990s, developed the concept of external review, which is kind of an appeals resource that um, patients can use when they have an adverse benefit determination to make sure there's a third-party review of that decision. I've played a little bit in the technology space, um, starting with after HIPAA was adopted, developing privacy and security accreditation program, and one early on for health websites when you know the internet took off, and then most recently uh, for telemedicine. And of course, imaging has been a real joy over the past, I think, nine years I've been running RAD sites, starting with the development of the uh, RAD site MIPA accreditation program for advanced diagnostic imaging, which of course covers CT, MRI, and uh, nuke med systems. And then of course, procombine CT, which we'll talk about more uh, during this interview. That's quite a broad spectrum of experience in various different pockets of healthcare. So you are probably maybe singularly uniquely qualified in terms of your understanding of how healthcare works in the United States, having that broad exposure. Yeah. Uh, so on RadSite's website, it says that RadSite is accreditation reinvented. So what does that mean? How do you reinvent accreditation? So, you know, just a quick, uh, funny uh, note. I like to joke to my family that I'm a, a recovering attorney and an accreditation nerd. But <laughs> what that really means is no, no one really knows what I do for a living. So I like <laughs> to joke about that. But that's a great question, Fenty, in terms of, you know, really what you know, there's different shapes and forms for accreditation. Um, some programs are good, some are bureaucratic. And, you know, part of my mission statement, my value is to really make sure we're efficiently and effectively doing an intervention to help an organization that we're accrediting really get to the next level. And one of the exciting things about accreditation is it's a way that you can really help calibrate the field and kind of move it forward over time. For me, in terms of the reinvention notion, you know, a lot of creation programs focus on what I call process and structure measures. You know, do you have this policy and procedure in place? Do you have, you know, this quality assurance program? But I do think, you know, the mission towards outcomes becomes very, very important. And um, so part of RADSITE's mission is to really make sure we're moving imaging to kind of a quality-based performance-focused uh, intervention. So we're trying to really upgrade some of the traditional metrics for imaging uh, accreditation to kind of the next generation. And that would include, for example, moving more towards real-time measurement. Uh, we're working now with a large employer group uh, called Evaluate, uh, or it's the National Alliance for Healthcare Purchasing Coalitions, and their RFI, Evaluate to Create a Value-Based Purchasing Initiative. You know, we're thinking about how we can potentially leverage uh, artificial intelligence. So I think... 
The goal ultimately is to create a shared uh, educational experience as effective as possible, but make sure that imaging providers um, have an opportunity really to get reimbursed for the services that they provide and, and really, quite frankly, get back to you know, their focus on population health. So until very recently, can you run through what the options were for a practice that wanted to get accredited in cone beam CT specifically? One of the exciting dynamics of imaging is that the field's not static. And you always have these tremendous innovations uh, occurring. And what's interesting is that whereas MIPA, the Medicare Improvement Patient Protection Act, which actually led to the, for example, mandate of uh, accreditation if an image, advanced diagnostic imaging provider wants to get paid by CMS for imaging Medicare beneficiaries back then the traditional CT was well known, but not necessarily cone beam CT. Mm-hmm. And obviously, your organization, Curve Beam, is one of many organizations are on the front lines really doing some innovation. And we'll talk in a minute, I think, about probably some of the clinical efficacy of a cone beam CT exam versus a traditional CT exam. Mm-hmm. But I think that led to a little bit of a void um, in the marketplace in terms of specific standards for combing CT. So to answer your question, I don't think there's been a very many specific standards associated with combing CT, but Intersocial Accreditation Commission or IFC has had dental standards. And to the best of my knowledge, I think they um, also have accredited combing CT equipment uh, pursuant to their general CT standards. I don't think the American College of Radiology or Joint Commission traditionally accredits combing CT. Now, interestingly, RADSITE was accrediting Combe and CT mm-hmm. up to about four or five years ago, but when we were trying to get a solicit and finalize a final large payer recognition, they asked us not to do that. So it took us the three or four years to kind of navigate through that. So, you know, obviously you'll hear in a moment, you know, a little bit about what we're doing with the specific Combe and CT standards, but it's a very exciting, I think, period in time where we have more specific standards uh, through the help of Curbium and other, you know, subject matter experts in the field, uh, you know, going forward. So to summarize, if you are operating dental cone beam CT equipment uh, in your practice, there is one organization that has a specific dental cone beam CT pathway, but pretty much uh, none of the accrediting bodies were had a specific pathway for any other type of cone beam CT. They had to go specifically through the CT pathway. That's correct. That's and, that's very well said. And, and can you talk about all the conversations that you've had with different stakeholders in the CBCT community? What is some of the friction that was caused for practices who were trying to get their uh, cone beam CT systems accredited so they could prove that they were operating under quality standards and they had certain protocols in place, but having to do that within the framework of a, a regular CT system. Why was that not ideal? It's interesting because I um, have spent some portions of my career working for you know health plans. I used to be actually vice president of state and legal affairs of what's now the health insurance uh, AHIP, the major tra- uh, trade association for um, managed care entities. So I have a lot of good pair contacts. And I was surprised as I kind of surveyed a lot of the um, individuals in charge of imaging that they didn't really have a detailed knowledge of really what Combine CT uh, represents and what it was, how the field had emerged. And because of that, I don't think there was a clear understanding of the clinical efficacy behind Combine CT imaging. And I think that led to some conservative policies about not necessarily reimbursing cone beam CT. 
And um, so I think that the starting point was people really did not have an appreciation for the advantages. So I think though some imaging providers who had company CT equipment were either either having to charge fee for service to their patients directly, and that's I think still pretty commonplace in dental, or not necessarily getting reimbursed for some of the medical um, you know exams that were actually you know helping the patient. You said RadSite originally offered a cone beam CT pathway, kind of took a back seat with that for a while while it worked through some regulatory uh, issues. At what time did RadSite revisit its cone beam CT pathway, decide to start exploring that option again? And when did you kind of officially enter phase two and start developing these new standards? Great question. So, you know, it's interesting. One of the um, public policy benefits of accreditation is to not only uh, set quality standards, but to educate and help drive kind of public policy. And then sometimes regulation will follow or, you know, pay a reimbursement strategy. So it was clear there was a lot of either people were not familiar with the concept of Combine CT or just general confusion. So kind of we opened back up our um, research uh, on the topic probably during the summer of 2017. Mm-hmm. And then by the fall of 2017, we got kind of serious saying, you know, we really should develop high fidelity standards, uh, both covering medical and dental Combine CT imaging, knowing that there'd be some differences. And in fact, uh, we've gone even a step further and created specific requirements for different types of medical specialties, such as ENT, orthopedics, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually, the committee uh, was reformed. And one of the things I've done over the years is you use you know, a, a committee of volunteer experts. And it started meeting in March of 2018. So believe it or not, we've been meeting about uh, two years. And we've leveraged a number of different experts. And so we have met about 20 times over mm-hmm. the past two years. And really, so, you know, my hat's off to this volunteer committee of experts that have helped kind of develop the standards. So who are some of these volunteer experts? Who are these stakeholders that are involved in this design process? Well, there's a wide array of uh, experts that participate on the committee. We have, you know, obviously imaging providers who are directly in the field providing Combine CT imaging. We obviously have a lot of manufacturer representatives, such as Curbeam. We have different payers who, over uh, the years, have grown more interested in Combine CT who are now listening in or otherwise participating. We have a number of um, thought leader Combine CT physicists in the field. We have academia representatives, and we have at least one government official. So, you know, what happens with these standards committees is you kind of form a community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it, it, part of it is to really make sure we're getting different perspectives, not only in terms of one's general orientation professionally, but also to the specifics, as I mentioned before, in terms of the exactly, you know, the specialty nuances for coping CT imaging in this case. Mm-hmm. And you've developed quite a few standards before, and I'm sure you've noticed this trend where maybe sometimes it's easy to get stuck on a detail. And then that one detail can take a lot of time. How have you as a leader been able to kind of refocus the the group as a whole and keep the standards uh, development process moving along? Yeah, it's been you know, really fascinating and exciting to kind of deal with some of those more uh, technical issues in terms of 
you know, specific, uh, you know, pathways. And so, you know, part of it is to, you know, not only listen to the standards committee, which is in essence functioning as a Delphi panel, but for example, right now we're going through a beta test cycle, which we've just begun where we actually get firsthand experience. We also, you know, typically will rely on a, some sort of series of public comment periods and just kind of get the word out. And, you know, from that, you can really kind of gather the data points and, um, you know, part of it is to basically calibrate each standard as to what makes sense in terms of, you know, capturing market size and then moving forward. And then you can ratchet it up over time. One of the um, kind of clever aspects of any accretion program is you can have, you know, this will be version 1.0. You know, in three months, we could release, you know, version 1.1. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when there's a little bit more of an upgrade, which we're actually planning, which I can explain in a minute, we can do version 2.0. So, you know, it's, um, for example, some of the um, stopping points where we had to kind of do a little public policy discussion really is under um, combing CT imaging, you know, what's the proper role of physics testing? Mm-hmm. For example, what's the pro- proper role of the scope of practice for the typical type of provider and, you know, how you interpret images, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What you said about being able to release versions relatively quickly, that brings back to what you said earlier, where accreditation standards are a supplement to legislation, because legislation, of course, moves through a much slower process and has many more stakeholders involved. So having accreditation standards in place allows for a set of rules that's more flexible and more accommodating to evolving technology and, and things like that. That's right. Exactly. If, if it's done correct, uh, the role of regulation and accreditation, and quite frankly, you know, purchasing criteria sometimes expressed through an RFP, it should be <laughs> synergistic and symbiotic. And, uh, you know, the three should be kind of interconnected. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'd say about half the time of those 20 plus accreditation programs are brought to market is actually kind of ahead of regulation mm-hmm. and actually helped establish kind of the national standards and then regulation catch up. In other instances, what accreditation can do is kind of create a, what I call a common law standard, which actually mm-hmm. creates a de facto, you know, national or uniform standard where you may have some state variation, which I think helps, you know, in terms of patient care across the United States. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, so you mentioned that the current standards are moving into the beta phase. So can you explain what that means? Yeah. So, for example, we have a couple uh, really interesting nuances to the standard. So what we basically do, part of the creation process is to, you know, you have a set of standards and then those standards are activated through an online accreditation portal. So obviously we have to build that out specific to Coping CT. And, you know, the an applicant will fill out, you know, answer questions, upload documents, and there's what we call a desktop review. And that provides kind of an educational feedback loop. Hopefully that's going both ways. But obviously as Rats like Gains expertise, we'll make sure we're kind of sharing best practices with all the um, applications going through. And then there's some sort of validation, whether it's through a, an on-site review or through a, a virtual desktop, you know, during the creation cycle. So this kind of compresses all that into uh, like a two-month period where we're really, there's a little bit more of an informal process up front so we can learn to make sure we have, in essence, calibrated the standards correctly. So, for example, mm-hmm. with Combe and CT, when you think of the scope of practice interpreting images, you know, not everybody who has a combing CT system is um, a radiologist. Mm -hmm. So for example, if a podiatrist is using 
account being CT system, what we want to do is clarify the scope of practice as to, you know, that image, obviously the podiatrist can read um, the image for the foot, but they, they should not read an image, you know, obviously for the hip. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, what we're doing is just kind of shoring in those kind of clinical pathways that are part of the review process. Uh, also, the same thing is happening on the physics standards. Um, as you're aware, there's been no kind of uniform and national physics testing set of standards out there. So the first version of uh, rat size standards are going to focus more on the manufacturer requirements. And then a future, perhaps version 2.0, will kind of look at uniform requirements. So it really provides a way for us to kind of really dip our toe in the water and get a sense as to what's going on so we can, you know, finalize and polish the standards. Because part of this is once the standards are done, you know, it's my job to take it back to CMS and um, payers to continue to get their buy-in. And again, everything looks really good in terms of that because, uh, as you noted earlier, you know, this is really the first set of very specific standards, at least in the medical field, for coping CT imaging. In effect, these first practices uh, are kind of serving as the guinea pigs to see if the standards that your group has been working on uh, since 2017, if every possible scenario was accounted for, um, they'll find as they're working through it, you know, maybe what might still be unclear, where there might still need to be a little bit of work. But essentially, the standards are pretty much ready. And, you know, if you've done your, your job well, those who go through the beta phase should have uncover very few issues, uh, and then it will kind of be ready for uh, to be opened up to to all practices, to anyone who wants to accredit a cone CT. That's, that's right. We're hopeful by uh, June or certainly early summer that what happens is there's a governance structure that runs for outside. So the cone CT standards committee will take a look uh, at any kind of red lines that small adjustments that we make based on the beta test experience, and then they'll review and approve those final standards. And then it goes to our advisory board, which meets a couple of days later, and then we're ready for prime time. And as part of the accommodation to the beta test sites, you know, they can quickly enter into an accreditation arrangement so they can be part of the first wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're hopeful that we can actually can announce a first wave of accredited companies again, you know, by early summer. And it's, it's been a really exciting time. I think this is probably, Venti, the longest accreditation development, standards development cycle that I've been involved with. I really? think I had one that went 18 months. But I think that's a complement mm-hmm. to not only the field of company and CT imaging and how rich it is and dynamic, but also to the seriousness that RADSITE took to make sure we were trying to get you know, the ducks properly in, in the right order. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What can you talk about some of the feedback that you've gotten from people at CMS and also from people from the different payers? Uh, how have you seen their understanding and their approach to cone beam CT evolve uh, as the standards have evolved? Well, you know, simply put, uh, the starting point, you know, three years ago was not a whole lot of interest. To We just had a committee call uh, two days ago and two major payers were listening in, mm-hmm. <laughs> two national payers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they now understand, you know, if I have uh, an injury of the knee and I need to put weight on it, you know, a combing CT image of uh, me standing is going to have certain diagnostic fidelity that traditional CT would not. So I think mm-hmm. there's a more open appreciation for what it can do. And I think part of it's just telling the story. And, you know, part of what I love about accreditation is that we get to work with all the stakeholders. And it's more than about accreditation. It's about really 
establishing and reinforcing, you know, solid evidence-based pathways of patient mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. And we all, we're all very familiar with the advantages of, you know, combing CT imaging. And to have that kind of continue to move on, knowing that there's going to be more additional requirements uh, from payers, but we'll anticipate those requirements will help establish them and uh, work proactively with imaging providers. And just, you know, I th I, I'm always disheartened when I hear about just reductions in reimbursement on an ad hoc basis by a payer. Mm -hmm. And my challenge back to uh, my colleagues in the payer communities to really take the time, invest and learn about coping CT like we have, to understand really how it's going to help their covered lives in a meaningful way, knowing in part that accreditation standards and rat sites program can help, you know, kind of document and reinforce, you know, quality-based practices. That's great. What can we anticipate next? What are next steps in terms of the standards and maybe more broadly, the, the 30,000 feet view for all healthcare professionals and practitioners who use cone beam C CT, uh, where do you kind of see the evolution going? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's exciting to, I, and by the way, I think this past year at RSNA, we probably hit a tipping point with cone beam CT. I was trying to track all the Combean CT sessions, and I know mm -hmm. there were over a dozen. I know there's been previous Combean CT sessions, but even the radiology community, there seems to be growing interest in the field. And of course, we have, uh, whereas uh, dental, oral surgery, ENT, orthopedics, podiatry, uh, you know, there's uh, there's hundreds of, if not thousands of imaging systems have been installed for some of the subspecialties. You do have some emerging areas such as for combing CT mammography, that you know the FDA just approved a machine for screening or di diagnostic, and um, you know you you see the conversion of linear accelerators and C arms for radiation therapy using combing CT technology. So I think the field's going to continue to expand, and our goal is to really make sure there's a public policy forum that talks about those changes, much like my first story when we as a society, you know, point of service PPOs are now by far the largest type of health insurance. But back mm -hmm. in 1995, no one knew who they, what they were. Today, it's pretty commonplace. Mm -hmm. And the accreditation organization I worked for at the time really established those national standards along with some, you know, other uh, public policy makers. But I think we're kind of the same juncture here where we can continue to really kind of shore up existing practices, anticipate future practices, and you know, make sure that there's a broader-based dialogue as to, the again, the, the advantages from a population health perspective or an individual patient's interest in terms of, you know, when combing CT imaging makes sense, making sure that patient's getting the, the combing CT image at the right time, the right setting for the right situation. Thank you. That was extremely enlightening. And I think for anyone who's a uh, who's a policy nerd, uh, or as you said, an accreditation nerd, uh, it is it is fascinating sometimes just to discuss the regulatory, the legal aspects of medicine. If people are interested in learning more, uh, how can they reach out to you? Do you have any uh, social media platforms that they can follow you on? Yes, absolutely. So our website is radsite, R-A-D-S-I-T-E, quality.com. And if you go to our newsroom, our blog, you'll see some future posts about Combine CT. In fact, we have a couple webinars coming up late spring and early summer on Combine CT. And then we do, um, uh, Ratsite does uh, have a LinkedIn page or, you know, function and, and a Twitter account. So um, if you want to get more specific information about the standards, so you can send an email to info at 
radsitequality.com, info at radsitequality.com, and just ask to see a copy of the standards. Uh, we'll be happy to share that with your audience. Thank you so much. Have a, a great rest of your week. All right. Thanks, Venti. Take care. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye.